The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. Father, we're thankful for the evening, and we are, in thank, uh, we are thankful for your constant faithful work in our lives, and that involves allowing us to go through things that are uh, challenging, challenging in a not fun way, not an exciting challenge, but a challenge that can really uh, break our spirit in a situation and uh, just cause us to become very, very fleshly. Uh, but we're thankful that as you do that, we can respond well and we can grow, just as we were seeing last week. As we look at your word tonight, we ask that we might be, uh, well, I don't know how to say encouraged, but at least educated as to the problem of our sin nature. And we will thank you for all this then. Amen. So um, before we move on to this, what we've done so far in the Christian life, and this is, I, I think this is like study number 14. Okay, because I've been kind of keeping track number-wise what how, how many weeks we're doing this. But before we get into the main part of the study tonight, I want I wanted to take a minute and I want to just do a very, very brief review on what we've looked at up to this point. And it's up in this, this chart, this symbol thing that we use a lot. Josh uses this all the time. Uh, he's modified my design. That's all right. <laughs> but... Uh, this idea, and this comes out of uh, two key passages, John 14, 20. John 14, 20 is the one. And the other one is John uh, 15, uh, verses 4 through 6. And it tells us that in John 14, 20, that uh, we are in Christ. And then the other half of it is, is that Christ is in us. In John 15, he tells us, you abide. That means it has something to do with your mental process. You, uh, you abide in who you are in Christ, and Christ abides in us. I can't make Christ abide in me, but I can abide or be at ease in him. This right here, honestly, of all the things that we're learning, I still think that this is probably one of the most important things you take away from this, which is why we spend lots of time going over this. Who am I in Christ? Or I in Christ, I am. And if it seems, if it seems monotonous, I feel sorry for you because it's like, it's not. It's like, this is who you are. This is the thing that God says about you. This is a very big deal. And it's what he points us to again and again. And as we're relating to this, all the rest of this Christian life things, all these other things start falling into place. Holy Spirit does his work. The fruit's produced through us. We're spiritual because of the work of the Spirit. I mean, that's why it's spiritual, because it's his work. That's why we're called that. In a nutshell, that's what we've been through to this point. That's what I would call the normal Christian life. What we started looking at last week when we were looking at the issue of sin is now we're going to look at disruptions or interruptions to this. What, what gets me to stop doing this? My sin nature, Satan, and the world system. Those are the three spiritual enemies. And those three spiritual enemies do all kinds of things to distract us and to get us our attention off of who we are in Christ. And it 
curtails, well, it curtails, it messes this up. So this is curtailed over here. Christ isn't at ease in the believer that's got his mindset on the flesh or the world or something that Satan wants us to be doing. Now, having said all of that, I'm, I'm very strongly convinced that there are, and this, I, I, I don't think that there's a lot of Christians that get this. I think a lot of Christians go through their Christian life, and what we're going to look at tonight, a lot of Christians don't live this way. What we do is, in this study we're going to look at tonight, they live by the sin nature. They live by the flesh. They do good works by the flesh. The flesh isn't all just about everything's nasty. It's that there are good things that people do, but they do it with completely the wrong motives, and it's messed up. Having said that, I do think most Christians do, do think this way. They just don't know what they're doing. They sit in a, oh, I didn't bring it down here. I was going to bring my Red Schofield Reference Bible. My parents gave it to me in high school. I took it to high school camp when I was a junior in high school. And I sat and I listened to this, this speaker. Uh, and he went through some of those things. I didn't really know what I was being exposed to at that time. But it really changed the way I thought for some time. And I related to it. But I didn't realize it was relating to those truths that was causing me to think differently. And so eventually, I kind of drifted back into the way I'd lived my Christian life by the flesh. Uh, and it wasn't until, like I've told you times before, 20, 20, being 20 years old, that um, I actually learned about this and how this actually works, exposed to these verses. Which is amazing, because when I was in junior high, our pastor, this is what we did with our youth, he did with our youth group, this little teeny book written back in the... 20, uh, the very early 20s or the teens, whatever it is, you can still buy this online. I've got multiple copies in my office, but it has a section in here. We did it because we were looking at um, dispensations, but it has a chapter in there called The Believer's Standing in State. And we went through some of these things, and I went through some of these things later. I just never figured out when I would relate to this and read these things why my mind was changed so much as I would think about and it's not thinking about him in the book. It's that he goes through scriptures. I mean, he, you, you think he's writing a whole bunch of stuff, but what he's actually doing is just he's quoting scripture. There's scripture in a verse and scripture in a verse saying all these things that God's doing with us. And as I would relate to those things, my mind would be different. But I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't go, oh, it was because of this. Because I didn't know about the verses that actually say, as you relate to who you are in Christ, there is a change. I didn't know about Colossians 3.1. I didn't know about Romans 6, 11. I didn't have, I didn't have, I didn't know about John 15, verses 4 and 5. And I'm not saying I didn't probably ever hear or read those verses, but I didn't know that that was the connection. I didn't know how this all worked. So having said that, tonight, we're going to, we're going to sadly have to look at some disruptions, but you need to know this. I mean, if there are uh, areas of conflict that we have and we put our head in the sand, that isn't going to help, is it? We kind of need to know where our areas of conflict are. And so tonight we're going to start with the sin nature, also called the flesh. So let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Romans chapter 6, 1. Romans chapter 6. And by the way, 
I, I'm just making this comment on this chapter in this book, when I looked back at this as somebody that was older and was looking at these things that God says about us in Christ, I was like, man, how come you don't see this anywhere else? And that's when I started really, oh, there were lots of people that had lists like that. And I actually have collected several books where people have lists. And they're not all absolutely identical, but they do care. They do uh, cover some, a lot of the same material. So there are a lot of people that have recognized these things over the years. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. <clears throat> It says, what then will shall we say? Should we continue in the sin nature? And that word continue is, shall we be comfortable or at ease in the sin nature? Just get comfortable with it so that grace might increase. Now, I translated that sin nature, but what you have in the Greek is you have teharmatia, or we'd put it in English, the sin. It doesn't say the sin nature. Never in the New Testament does it ever say the sin nature nature it just is always the sin and we could we could sit and do a whole study on just the nature of that greek word and show you in every passage where it occurs or almost every passage that it plainly is talking about a nature we're going to see that in just a moment we're going to look at a couple passages but this is what he's talking about now if you had i think it was the niv We've tried to wean some people off that, but it, it, we have failed in that. Re I, I give Ben a hard time. <laughs> no, Ben's just made all kinds of uh, notations in his, which we all do with our Bibles, right? Moving to the message, Dan. Oh, the <laughs> dear Lord, get out of this Baptist church. Oh. But uh, the, the reason I mentioned the NIV is because the NIV translates this verse. They say, "Shall we continue sinning?" And they make this uh, word here, they treat it as though, oh, good grief. <laughs> I'm getting too warm. I ticked it off and then it got caught on the chair. Um, they make this an, uh, an activity. Shall we continue sinning? But what he's saying is, shall we be people that just get comfortable or at ease in the realm of the sin nature? Just be okay with the sin nature. And he says, no. That's what he's going to say in, in verse 2. But that's what we're looking at this. The first question, we have a conflict within ourselves and Paul called it the sin. That's all he calls it. It's just called the sin. It's a noun with a definite article. So he's talking about something very specific. I'll read it one more time as the Greek would, would render it. The, the Greek was, shall we continue in the sin? In order. NASB reads it as well. No. Most of your Bibles just shall we continue in sin. They drop the definite article out. Because I don't think that they understand the significance of what Paul's saying. I don't. They just look at it and go, we don't use a definite article the same way the Greek does. Which is true, we don't. Right, yeah. we don't talk that way. No, yeah. We don't, I don't say the Ben or the Lewis. But they actually, there's a lot of times where it says the Paul or the Jesus. It actually puts a definite article in front of names sometimes, not always. We just don't do that. Yeah, but it's not always used that way, though. It's because sometimes it has and sometimes it doesn't have it. It's just, it's just the way the nature of the Greek language was. Now, we often call it then sin the sin nature, sin nature. This is what we refer to it as. Sometimes we call it the old. Sometimes we do call it the old sin nature. The Bible never calls it that. We get that because in. Um, Romans 6, it talks about the old man, but the old man's not the sin nature. It's me that was dominated by the sin nature. Or but that's kind of... Position in Adam, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, it, it, which is me when I was under that dominion. That's exactly the whole point. The one, the me that was in, under dominion, that, that, that old man's gone. It's the old preposition in Adam versus the new position in Christ. Exactly, yeah. And in Christ there's liberty. In Adam there was slavery. So let's turn to chapter 17. Romans, seven. Romans 7, 17. I said chapter 17, didn't I? Romans 7, 17. Romans 7, 17, it says, but uh, it, let, let, let me just go back to verse 16 and pick this up. Verse 16, now, if the thing that I do not desire, this I do, then I agree with the law that it is good. The law is good in that it's pointing out the things I shouldn't be doing. But now it is no longer I that is working it or producing it, but is the dwelling in me sin. There's a definite article in front of sin, but it's back before the words dwelling and in me in the Greek. That's why I read it that way. We would say, the sin nature that dwells in me. That's the way we would have to put it in English. But in the Greek, it's the dwelling in me sin, is what he's saying. And the word dwelling there is a participle that's talking about the fact that this sin dwells in me. Clearly, it's not an act of sin. It's a quality or a nature of sin. He repeats it again. What? Yeah, that's the way you would write it if you were going to try to communicate that. Yeah. Verse 20 then repeats, but if what I do not desire, I do, kind of repeating what he said before, it is no longer I that is producing it, but the, again, the same thing, dwelling in me sin. And in this one, well, let me just check. I have to look at this again because I was going to check this out today. Yeah, it's actually, these look the same in my Greek text, but if you went back to verse 17, there are a number of Greek manuscripts. Yeah. What? In verse 17, I said. In verse 17, where the word dwelling actually is indwelling in me. The difference is we have, we have two... It's almost the same thing, but we have oikeo. Oikeo, this is what we have in verse 20. In 17, in a number of Greek manuscript, manuscripts, we have en oikeo. So this is saying in. And on top of that, both of them have after it the preposition en also, which is in. So in this one, it's like the indwelling in me sin. This one is just the dwelling in me sin. Um, it, but it does. It, you just don't see it in your Greek text, but it actually is in quite a few Greek texts. It's, it's, it's not in mine either. I had to make the note in mine because it's left out um, because of the particular text, the decisions the editors made. So this is the issue when we're talking. Oh, to see that? Now, not only can I not just look at the English, but I can't just look at the Greek that's available to me either. Well, <laughs> well, you know what? You, I'm just going to answer that. What you do, what, what you can do is you can look at, you can get like a United Bible Society Greek text or the Nestle's Allen uh, 28th edition Greek text, and you can look at it, and they'll have a note up there saying that these manuscripts have this word versus these manuscripts that have this, and it's all these little places where things are different, okay, um, where you can actually see that, but uh, 
But the whole point, this is the point I'm trying to make. This sin nature isn't something outside of you and I. It's actually something that's in, in us. Paul says that two times here. It was in me, or and it is in you me. you say in, dwelling in me or dwelling in me? It's the same thing. Yeah. The only thing you get when you say indwelling in me is it's just like hammering it home. It's like doubling up on this, trying to really get the point. Paul says it's here. It's, no, it's not an outside problem. And part of the reason he's saying that, it's twofold. He's trying to say it's not the law's fault. It's my sin nature's fault, even though he says the law is the thing that actually aggravates the sin nature, but that's what it was supposed to do. It was there to show me that I've got a sin nature. So are you going to hit verse 20? Verse 20? Yeah, yeah, we just read it. Okay, but it well, actually says the sin. Yeah, it does. Okay. And it said the same thing. It said that also in verse 17. Both of them have the sin. Yeah. 17. No, 17 no, just has sin. There's no the. She no. Oh, oh. It says the sin. Oh, in verse 17? In verse 20. In verse 20, yes. But not in, but not in verse 17. Not in See, not in theirs. Not in theirs. The woman has yeah. the sin. Yeah. Both verse 17 and eight, or 20 in the Greek have a definite article in front of the word Where sin. is it in verse 20? In verse 20? Oh, is it hey? Oh, it's right there. Yeah, hey. yeah. It's before the door. No, you don't. I was just cheating, giving you the, the, the lexical form of it. I didn't give you the form that's in here. So. Okay. So now, the next thing we want to think about when we're talking about the sin nature, because this is what you have, we have to do when we're, before we look at these works, is I want you to identify what are some... I just want you to think when God created Adam... What would you say are some natural cravings, God-given cravings that God created in Adam when he when he created Adam and Eve? What are some hunger? Hunger for food. Yeah. Okay. I'll check these off. What are some other What are some other cravings or things that mankind has intense interest in? What? His wife, yeah, which that, that can be two things, companionship and sex. And so we can check both of those off. God himself. I think God built into Adam and Eve a desire for a, a, an, inter, an interaction with God. Okay. Yeah. And then the other, I, and I'm, I'm just kind of narrowing this down to these five, but I put in there a, self, a sense of self-integrity, self-protection. The idea that, you know, you want to do the right thing. This is, I, I really think that this is something that God built in, built into Adam. How, however, you said, hold on, you said self-protection and you want to do the right thing as two things? Self-integrity. Oh, self-integrity. And I explained that in terms of twofold it's kind of self-protection and this and wanting to do the right thing. You're trying to protect yourself by doing the right thing. Those are the things I think. Do what the wife tells you to do. That's right, Gary. Don't forget that. That is that's that's after the fall, Gary. Before the fall, just doing the right thing would have would have been that way. Okay. Now, when Adam sinned. Those cravings were, what word would we use? What verb would we use after that? Bent. Bent. 
perverted, twisted. So now you take those things and you're gonna have twisted versions of these. So how should be the word do. Good thing I looked over these notes this morning before or this afternoon or whenever I went over these because I left it out. How do people fulfill these cravings now? The fill, I would say the cravings that God put in them. That's I should have clarified that. Like companionship, sex, self-integrity? Yeah. They're fulfilling the twisted version of them. On hunger, you either have people that overeat or undereat. Yeah, they either, they're either starving themselves on purpose yeah. or... Yeah. And, I, we, and I'm just going to say this about all of these. When we go through these works of the flesh, some of these you're going to look at and you go, okay, I've dealt with that. I've had problems with that a little bit. But some of them you're going to go, oh, yeah, I, that, I, that's one of the ones I struggle with. In other words, I don't think everybody struggles with these all the same. I know some people, you know, you could put cakes and cookies and hamburgers and all kinds of pizza, all the stuff I'd want, and they would go up and they would take one slice of pizza and they would take one cookie and they're good. They're very self-controlled. I'm up there going, why can't I have four pieces of pizza and a burger and three or four of each of the cookies? I, you know, I want to eat a lot. See, that's a twisted perversion of that. So I'm just trying to give you an idea that not everybody struggles with all these. But the same person that has great self-control with regard to the food on the table, they might have other things. That's why they put prices on it, so that's <laughs> Well, it, it does do that, yeah. It does do that. But, I would, but what I'm saying is that person that exercised self-control there, you admire that, but you don't know what other issue that they may have. They may have other things that they have problems with. So um, let's go to uh, back, stay here in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. Notice what Paul says in verse 18. For I know that there does not dwell in me, that is in my flesh, anything good. For to desire is present with me, but to work it or produce it or how to produce it, we'd probably say in English, that's not there. In other words, how to do it? I don't know how to do it. When I operate in my flesh, this is what he's getting at. Okay. And to be honest, I'm strongly convinced of this. And I think most of you, I think most of you would agree most of the people you get together at church with and most of the Christians you meet, wherever they are and wherever they go to church, verse 18 is something that's very real to them. And because they don't maybe know the Christian life, they just think, they think they're the only one with the problem. They look at you and they, unless you say something to them about your struggle, they think, well, they've got it together. I'm the only one that has this problem. And in reality, we all will have this problem if we don't live by the, the, by the plan that God has laid out for us. We all struggle with this. This isn't just something unique to one or two of us. Everybody struggles with this. That's why I think it's, you know, I, you know, for years when I went through struggles, I was always like, I don't think anybody else deals with this. Because, you know, you didn't go to church and everybody stand up going, hey, this week I was having problems with A. Well, I was having problems with B. You know, <laughs> nobody stands up and does that at church. Well, not when I was growing up. And I think they still don't usually do that. See? And so a lot of Christians don't know that other people are actually dealing with these things. 
And your struggle, whatever you go through, seems very big to you. And when somebody else tells you about their struggle, it's not that you mean to be rude, but you know, it doesn't seem as big a deal to you as your problem does. Your problem seems sometimes insurmountable. Now, again, as I say that, I think most of us here, we understand this in the Christian life, and therefore, even though we still have struggles, we actually have learned how to deal with it, and it, hopefully we're growing to the point that it's not so much a regular part of our life. Does that all make sense? Hopefully it is. Um, let's go back to verse 9. So anyway, so the sin nature is, uh, is um, the enemy or is our enemy that resides in our flesh. That's what Paul is saying there. It's, it's, it's the sin nature that it dwells that is in, in my flesh, it dwells in me that is in my flesh which we're going to talk about that in just a second before we move on. Um, Peg and I uh, went to Pennsylvania a couple of years ago for a Bible conference, and we stayed with a wonderful, wonderful couple. But <laughs> they are night owls, and we are not. And we had a couple nights that we were up to like 1 and 2 in the morning doing Bible study in the dark, no less. I'm having to turn my phone in to look at the Bible because they didn't turn lights on in their living room and we're talking in there. And I'm just like, I'm glad the lights are off because they can't see that everyone, so I have to close my eyes because I can't keep them open. Anyway, okay, that all aside, we had a wonderful time. But one of the questions that came up was, are the flesh and the sin nature, are they the same? And they're not the same. We just looked at this verse here in verse 18 where he says, there does not dwell in me that is in my flesh anything good. So he says, it's something that dwells in my flesh. And he just told us what that dwelling thing was in verse 17. It's the sin. So it's the sin that's dwelling in my flesh. Now, does that mean it's literally dwelling in the meat that makes up my body? Is that what he's talking about? He's using flesh in what we would call a moral sense. And so this is after quite a bit of discussion between the four of us there the conclusion that we came to, and I'm just going to, is a lot of times the word flesh, it, it can be used of just physical existence, people, there's a number of ways that this word flesh is used. It's not always used in a moral sense in this way. But in the book of Galatians, the term the sin is used three times, and it's never once used of the sin nature. It is always making reference to a specific sin in that context every time that it's used. It's very unusual because that's not normally the case with that singular noun. But the word flesh occurs 18 times in the book of Galatians. And the reason we came to the conclusion is... Flesh, the word flesh, oh, the sin, referring to what we would call, we would normally call that the sin nature is used three times, but it never refers to the sin nature when you look at it. It's always mm -hmm. talking about a specific act of sin. English. In English. In, in Galatians. In Galatians. Yeah, in Galatians. It's act, talking about a specific... Act of sin. Right. Okay. But yeah. Most instances, in other books... Most of the time when you have sin with a definite article, it's very plain that it's talking about this principle, this this thing that operates in there. The... the, 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 the key to it is, is if in the context he says he lied and the sin that he's pointing back to, that it, I'm just making something up so I'm probably getting, would mess that up, but then, then you know what he's talking about. 
But there's a lot of times he's not talking about a specific act. He's just talking about what we would call the sin nature. He's using okay. it in a broad sense. Okay, so that's three times in Galatians. Three times, whereas the word flesh occurs 18 times. And this is why that's a big issue. Because Paul, in writing Galatians, is writing to Christians telling them to not live by the law, to cut it out. Because other people have followed him behind, come into the church afterwards, said, oh, Paul is great, Paul's a great guy. But you know, he just didn't tell you at all. You guys need to get circumcised, you need to keep the law. That'll, that's, that's the way you're going to grow as a Christian. And Paul says what that does is it makes you, when you live by law, and this is the problem, when Christians don't know how to do this and they relate to law to try to mimic this kind of stuff, what Paul actually says in the book of Galatians, and we're not here to teach Galatians tonight, but what they are doing is they're actually living Christian life. It's not Christian life. It's a mimic of the Christian life at best by their flesh. And let me give you some examples of what happens. If you are living the Christian life by flesh and you question, I, let's say I'm the teacher and I'm living the Christian life by flesh and you challenge me on something, then, what, then my response is to that, I am the pastor, I am the teacher, I am the Lord's anointed, don't question me. And if you think pastors don't do that, <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm thankful that you haven't run into that because I've run into that with people that think that you don't ever challenge the pastor. So that's just one example because they're operating out of their flesh. And when you operate out of the flesh, you don't get to choose what works of the flesh pop up, which is why we're going to end up looking at this list of the works of the flesh. Now, one... So... The flesh is where the sin nature resides. And the flesh is what has the twisted desires. The sin nature is the part of you that comes along and says, you know what? Let's do that. And you go, God says no. And the sin nature goes, who cares? Who cares if God? Remember we were looking at sin last week? Sin? What, how did John define sin? Sin is? It's lawlessness. It's basically telling God, take a hike. I'm going to do what I want. And my sin nature wants this right now. So that's really what's happening. The flesh has these desires. The sin nature stands there and thumbs its nose at God and does what it wants. It, goes, it pursues fulfilling those desires. Anyway, maybe sometime we'll have to do a more detailed study where we'll look at some of those things, but that's not the point of our study tonight. But uh, I'm thankful to Peggy and, and uh, Gary and Sandy for the, putting in a couple of long nights working on those things. It was quite a, quite a set of studies despite the fact... <laughs> <laughs> that we were exhausted. But I want to look at one last verse in Romans 7 before we turn to Galatians 5. I didn't think we'd take this long in the first verses. I'm talking too long. I apologize. I don't know, because I'm foolish. <laughs> I, don't, I don't learn. Verse 9, Paul says, I was living without or separated from the law or separated from law once at one time. But then the commandment came and these sin... <clears throat> revived, came back to life. Now, this is what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the fact that I got saved. And when I got saved, there was a period of time at the beginning of my salvation, and I don't know if we can actually say this or not, but I've heard lots of people comment on this over the years. It's like when you first get saved, your mind is kind of in this salvation mode because you're so excited about your salvation, so excited about what God's done with you, that even if you don't know what you're thinking properly, 
It's like you're operating in this grace period where God's given you some time to grow. And Paul says, I was alive apart from the law. But then he says in verse 9, but then the commandment came. Because when Paul first got saved, he didn't turn back to the commandment immediately. But there's a point in time afterwards, and this is the issue of Romans 7, Paul went back to the law. The commandment came in, and the sin nature revived. Now, this is very important because many of your English translations, Peg, how does yours read? It says, yeah. Sure, that's, I can, okay. Sin sprang to life. But the word that he uses here for live or revive or sprang to life is the word anazao. And it means to live again. If you went to the book of Luke, I believe it's Luke. I was just looking at it today, but I don't remember. But you have an example. So it'd be like resurrected, sin resurrected. Yeah. So instead of in Romans 6 where it says count yourself dead to sin, you resurrected it because of the command. Yeah. It's used in Luke where there's a man that says, my son was dead, but he's given him back to me on a zao, alive again. His son had died, and Jesus speaks or lays his hands on him, and the kid comes back to life. That's what this word, this is not saying that the sin nature came to life for the first time. It's saying the sin nature came back to life, which, by the way, is a warning to us from the life of Paul. If you try to live your Christian life by law, guess what you're doing? You are pinching the sleeping sin nature and causing, trying to get it to come back to life and and that's what's going to happen yeah yes i lived and i died exactly yeah i moved back into the realm of of spiritual death yeah you're yeah that's right because let's put it this way is is an unsafe person alive Physically, they're alive, but they're spiritually dead. Paul says in Ephesians, they're cut off from the life of God. They're alienated from the life of God. They don't have this. So they don't. They don't have a, and the commandment doesn't come and make their sin nature spring to life and bring it comes to life and then they die. They were already dead. This is only true for a Christian. There's no way you can make that verse about an unsaved person, which is what many people try to do. I've got a book upstairs devoted by three writers to trying to answer the question which one it is and each of them takes a different position some of them take the position this is an unsaved person some of them take the position that this is a believer trying to live by law so it's three people debating this in this book okay and uh so i'm just telling you that is in and it's a by a renowned publisher so you can just see that these are this is an issue that people aren't all agreed on but i strongly am convinced that this is what paul means yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. This isn't really very important. It's not important at all, in fact, probably. So I don't want you to spend a lot of time with the answers to my life right on the tip of your tongue. Um, but the commandment he's referring to is not to covet. What is he coveting? I don't know. But no, but you know why that's actually a good question to ask? No, this is a good question to ask because you know what people do with this law when they say that, that the law does, isn't in effect? Like you go back to Romans 6 and it says, I'm not under law anymore. Well, you're not under the ceremonial law. You don't have to go to the temple. You don't have to do sacrifices anymore. 
What is Paul talking about here? Ceremonial law or Ten Commandment law? Ten Commandment law. Because chances are, with a lot of those other, with a lot of those other um, commands that they break, they probably broke number 10 first. Well, if you commit adultery, there's a good chance you coveted first. If you stole, there's a good chance you coveted first. And so on and so forth. In fact, bearing false witness might even have involved coveting. The Ten Commandment doesn't have thou shalt not lie. I hope you all know that. It says thou shalt not bear false witness. It's a different thing. You're standing in a court of law trying to get somebody in trouble by saying, yeah, they did it. That's what's happening. Okay. It's not saying law. That's not saying lying's okay, but that's not what that's about. Okay. So, no, your question is good because I, a lot of people don't understand that. It, he actually uses the one command that probably everybody, no matter how good they thought they were under the law, they all broke. Because what person doesn't look at somebody, something somebody else has and go, oh, I'd like that. See. Well, so then I guess what I'm the rest of what I'm trying to understand is I was once alive apart from the law. Like he never lived in a time when there wasn't a law. You're saying when he was first saved, he began living by the Spirit. He began living under grace, and he it was all good. But then, but when the commandment came, what does he mean when the commandment came? I think it's just simply... I went back to the synagogue and I started feeling like Gamaliel taught me so many great things and now I'm really enamored with the things I used to know. And Wait, this, this is kind of the way maybe I would picture it. And I don't know. This is just the way I would interpret what, part of what goes on. Probably there's a point at which Paul starts to realize he has some things that don't fit with the way he's thinking now. And he's trying to figure out how to deal with them. Well, he goes back in the commandment and says, well, you're not supposed to covet, Paul. Oh, there it is. I got the command. I should obey that command. Well, the minute he starts doing that command in that way, guess what Paul starts doing? Starts operating by the sin nature all over again. See? And that's, and, and that's why Romans 7 is so beautiful. Because it's Paul showing you, guess what? Because chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 in Romans are all talking to you about the sin nature problem. Because it's the one number one thing that most Christians think can separate them from God's love, which is the issue he settles at the end of Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But they think their sin nature can. You wouldn't, you would be shocked. Maybe you wouldn't, but you'd be shocked by how many believers are worried that not maybe they don't think they can lose their sin, their salvation, but they're thinking, but maybe I can actually be separated from God's love. Maybe I'm that kid that God's going to kick to the curb all the time or send him to his room all the time or whatever it might be. And so Christians, so a lot of Christians do this, and Paul's talking about this problem, and he said one of the things he's trying to say in Romans 7 is, guess what? The law isn't going to help you. All the law is going to do is show you even more that you've got a sin nature because that's what it was supposed to do. When Israel stood at Sinai and says, everything that the Lord says we will do, he's going, oh, really? Everything I say? Everything I say, we're going to show you that you're all sinners. And Paul tells you that three times in the book of Romans, that that's what the law was supposed to do. Show you that you're a sinner. And that's why everybody needs him, Christ. That's right. That's right. Okay. Let's see if we can grab a couple of these works of the flesh. So let's go to Galatians okay, chapter. So, yes, yeah, Peggy. Just to make sure you understand. So, well, I 
the flesh is that fallen part of me that has bent desires. The sin now is something, he says, that dwells in me. That's the part that basically thumbs its nose at God and says, when these desires come up, this is what I want to do. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do this instead of what God wants. You're going to drink five milk, Yeah, yeah. So the, so the flesh will have the desire. The sin nature the says. Sin nature says, "Yield to that desire. Yeah. Have no self-control." Yeah, and tell God to take a hike. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it does. And I know we don't go through the process of thinking God don't take a or take a hike. But think about that. When we act on one of the works of the flesh and we do those things, and it's and it's a conscious process in our mind, we kind of are like, "I know this isn't what God wants," but and then we go ahead and do it anyway. That's the sin nature operating in us, and that's what Paul's talking okay, about. So when it says. Um, verse 14 for we know that the law is spiritual but I am made out of flesh sold into sin's power where are you at? verse 14. 14 so your question is that the flesh is that because then you have verse Okay, verse 18, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. Mm -hmm. So, put those together for me. So, well, Paul, said, Paul says, the law appeals to my spirit, but I am, by nature, largely a fleshly person. Okay? I'm, I'm fleshly. And he says, and so then my problem is, is that I've got this sin nature dwelling in me that's taking advantage all the time of these desires that are bent. And it's always going, yeah, that one and that one. And it's pricking at them. And it's just, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. And this is what it's doing. That's the sin nature doing. That's the sin nature. The, the desires are there from the flesh, but the sin nature is taking advantage. It's the thing that's actually encouraging, pushing us to act on those desires. If the sin nature weren't present, I think that those desires would just... Um, I, I don't know how we put it. I, I mean, I don't want to stick my neck out and say something beyond scripture, but I think that we'd probably most of the time we just ignore a lot of those desires. They'd be there and we just go, uh, no, I'm, I'm going to relate to this. But the sin nature is going, no, this would be much more fun to do over here. And the solution then, because we are, are carnal or fleshly, Paul says the solution is, is with your mind, rather than focusing on the law, Focus on who God says you are in Christ, which is why it, immediately in Romans 8, he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You've got to get past looking at the conflict problem and start looking at the life problem or the life promise, who we are in Christ. So I think part, of, like in verse 18, it says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, clarifying it, in my flesh. That's right. For the willing is present in me, the doing of good is not. So even if your flesh does something good, like helping the little lady walk across the street because you want to be, uh, you want someone to recognize you did something good, that's from your flesh, and it's not good. It's not intrinsically good, mm -hmm. like what God would do in your life, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. 
And there's a good example of that. One of the works of the flesh, selfish ambition. It's the thing that Paul says in Romans 2. Every single, every single person on the planet, when they do good stuff, it's actually being done out of selfish ambition. If he didn't tell me that, I wouldn't know that because I can't look at their motives, you know. If you guys, if we have, if, if, the, if all the people in Royal City got together and we had a food drive and we got money to, to or got food to, to take care of all the, the people that don't have enough food in Royal City, if, if we did that, you know, I could look at everybody and go, well, this is really nice what all these people are doing, doing a food drive to help food, get, provide food for the, the hungry, you know. But I know according to Romans 2, there's always at least a taint that a person's doing it out of selfish ambition. So you could have the exact same thing being done and some doing it out of the spirit and some out of the flesh. It's not what's being done, it's how it's It's the attitude. It's it's whether we're yeah, exactly, whether we're operating out of flesh or yeah, or out of our And we can't judge that. And that's why it says you don't judge motives, because you can't see inside of it. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 4, don't, you don't judge motives, Paul says. Because I can't see your motives. I, I know what the motives of an unsaved person are, according to Romans 2. Unless someone tells you what their motives Exactly, exactly. But God so. still uses that selfish intention. <coughs> what? But God still uses that selfish intention. Uh, you know, and, and it is... And we... <laughs> Oh, I guess it was two Sundays ago that we looked at that out of Philippians 1 where he says, you know, the gospel goes out. Whether that person's doing it with the right motive or the wrong motive, the gospel still goes out. Paul, so the gospel's still the gospel. Whether That person just misses out on the joy of participating in what's going on. Because the, the joy of, of achieving something for yourself is pretty hollow. <laughs> even, if it did, even if it was a good thing in the end. Okay. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I'm not going to read through all of these. We're just going to start right off at the beginning. It says, but now the works from the flesh are plainly visible. And this is what they are. The first one is the word fornication. If you have a King James or a New King James, they have the word adultery before this. And if adultery, it, even if adultery isn't in the, because some Greek texts have it and most of them don't, but if adultery, if it, even if it isn't there, it's part of that word fornication. Okay? I'm just trying to clarify that. But I didn't include it in this list because it's included in sexual immorality. I'm not going to go through and illustrate. I, I give some illustrations maybe of some of these, but I think most of these are pretty straightforward and you probably can figure them out. This word sexual morality, it's the word pornea, um, but it means any form of sex outside, you used to be able to say outside of marriage. Now you have to clarify outside of marriage of a man and a woman or a male and a female. You didn't used to have to put that. But what? Well, because there's some people go, well, we're married, but... Because it's a marriage of homosexuals, that it fall, would fall within fall within that category, yeah. So there, so that's the first one. Again, I think most of us understand that. The second word translated in some of your Bibles, impurity. Other Bibles, uncleanness. Um, if you look up this word uncleanness, you're going to have places where you're going to have unclean animals. 
You're going to have people that are physically unclean because they touch something unclean. But this is not talking about those. This is talking about sexual uncleanness and it's uncleanness of the mind. It's primary, well, primarily, I would say, uh, sexual uh, uncleanness of the mind. In other words, we'd say sexually thinking of things outside of marriage. It's kind of like, I don't know if any other guys ever heard this. I don't know, maybe the gals heard this too, but I remember guys when I was growing up saying, well, I'm married, but I can still window shop. <laughs> Did you ever hear anybody use that expression? You know, and what they're saying is, oh yeah, I'm not going to cheat on my wife. Well, I will with my mind and my eyes, but I'm not going to cheat on her physically. See? Um, and that would be an example. That would be an example of that. Okay? Then we have the word that's translated sensuality. If you had uh, um, old, old Bibles, it was the word licentiousness, which I was like, why? Well, I, I had no idea what that was. But the... What? Debauchery or debauchery, yeah. But it's a word. What it means? What? Promiscuity. Promiscuity. Well, that's actually not a bad way to look at it. It's a word for lewdness. It's talking about public displays of sex. It's a word that meant to act without restraint. It says nothing's off the table. It's the get a room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. That's not a bad way to look at it. Yeah. Modern yeah. Or, or to put it another way, it's, it, or to put it another way, it's, it can be, it could be people that take in pornography or produce pornography. It could be either side of it. Okay, would be a, a way that that might be expressed. Okay, and that's one of the reasons that we believe uncleanness is referring to what it is because it's sandwiched between those two words. Does everybody get that? Okay. Okay. Are we ready to move on? Oh, no. I'm not ready to move on. Okay. Sorry. No, no. That's all right. That's all right. So, that we're talking about sensuality. Yes? Yeah. The word that gets translated into that. Okay, now I'm ready. Okay. Well, we did talk about that. Correct. Okay. Are we done? Yep. Okay. Just making sure. I just needed a Moved on. Okay. But going back to, to our opening thoughts at the top. See, God created us with a, with a natural craving for that. And it's not a bad craving, is it? Is it wrong for a man to actually have, have desires like that for his wife? No. Or a wife for her husband? No, it's not. But then this twists it and it says, I'm going to seek it anywhere I can find it. I'm going to seek it with somebody else or I'm going to think about it or I'm going to peruse it. These are the things that, or I'm not going to keep it in a room like Peggy was saying, you know. So those, so there's a proper desire. The flesh twists it. Okay. The flesh twists what's there. Okay. The next one, idolatry. Idolatry is the worship or devotion uh, to anything other than God, plain and simple. The worship or devotion to anything other than God. Now, what's one of the things that's interesting with that, what is another word that Paul ties, ties to the word idolatry twice in the New Testament? Does anybody remember? Coveting. Coveting. It's actually, in that, the word coveting is greediness, and the Greek word means to have more. That's the, way the, that's the way the Greek portrays that word 
that's translated in this context. It's you want more. And he says that that's idolatry. In other words, when you're looking, when you look at your paycheck and you say, I want more, what you're basically saying is, I'm going to worship getting more. If I get more, my life will be full rather than I've got enough with God. We, when we're looking at that, we're kind of denying what Paul tells us in Philippians 4. Guess what? I've learned how to sleep on a comfortable bed when Lydia put all of us up over there at her nice house as guests. And I know what it is like to sleep out in the dirt with my head on a rock. And I know how to eat well. And I know how to go hungry. And he says, the secret is remembering who I am in Christ. I am made strong for all things in the one who strengthens me. See? So, so that's why coveting is that's why coveting is idolatry. You're replacing God with something that you think will make you complete. Which think about it. Why do most people why do most people worship idols of some sort? Because they can't see God. But you can see an idol. You can see a Ford F-150. <laughs> well, I, I really mean that's exactly what it is. Rather than directing faith that you can talk to this God and this God can actually do things for you, you think that this idol can do something for you, that this idol can fulfill your life. Because I can see it. Okay. Then we come to the next one that's translated sorcery or superstition. It's from the Greek word pharmakia, which had to do with the use of drugs or potions to affect people, either by giving them drugs that caused them to hallucinate or by using potions that put up smoke and colors like that and, and made people go, ooh, look at that. Look at that. So you're saying not even necessarily um, actually altering them <coughs> mentally, like chemically, but like just shock and awe. It could do either, either one of those would work. Yeah, you can actually chemically alter them with drugs, or you can use what you're saying, shock and awe. Let me show you, this is one of the ones I want to show you an example I mean, like of. like if you think about, uh, what's his name? Benny Hinn, right? And he's doing a lot of things wrong, but does that, that whole show of knocking people down and all of that, like, does that fall into that category of... I, I think that can. I'm thinking of. It's the, the smoke and mirrors and the, the whole... The Virgin Mary and carving her... Yeah. Her statue around and thousands of people are in the streets following this statue of Mary and worshiping her in the yeah. Catholic churches and... Or I even think sometimes when you look at... Uh, I think an example of it in our circle would be when people say, come into the sanctuary. Yeah. This is just a building. It's not the sanctuary. We're the sanctuary. sanctuary. Yeah. It's yeah. just a meeting hall. So that's an example that's like in our circle. You know. <clears throat> Those two words seem quite a ways off. Sorcery and superstition? Yeah. When they have sorcery any... Somebody's summoning the witch of Endor. Yeah, yeah. summoning dark powers and like even in Papua New Guinea, you know, they they would have a 
a witch doctor in a lot of these villages who they believed had powers for manipulation of the spirits. Whereas superstition doesn't seem quite so dark and evil. I'm not saying it's right, but it's like I'm gonna wear these same socks for every football game or But that but go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, I mean uh, you know, when we were kids like a rabbit's foot. Yeah, just things that you do that you think give you an advantage when they're really nothing. Right. But see, that, and that's a really good illustration because when I was thinking through these things yesterday morning, um, one of the things that struck me was I was thinking about um, people that every, every, every um, Seahawks game, they wear their jersey. I have not washed it the whole season. You, you remember people like that, you know? And when they watch the game, because the Seahawks won when they were sitting on the right end of the sofa and they were sitting in this position. I mean, people are crazy, aren't they? Well, okay. I have to <laughs> <laughs> We were watching a Hawks game. Maybe it was last year. Remember that? We were watching a Hawks game and we were kicking butt. My wife's like, oh, she never watches it. She's like, I'll come and watch. She comes, sits down, Kel and I are cheering, and the Hawks start tanking. Like, can you watch from like the, <laughs> <laughs> the door frame? <laughs> yeah, it might have been a little we bit need serious. To get farther away from <laughs> she had to go out and do something. We like scored again. <laughs> Maybe Ben has one when he goes hunting. Oh. Yeah, they have a little ritual that they started. Maybe a ritual. <laughs> but, but taking that, so that's that's something we that people do crazy stuff like that in just in this world. But think about religious things where people think like you know the guy that gets up front and talks. It's a lot better if we have mood lighting when he's up there. Let's turn the lights down. Let's turn the lights down here because we need mood. Oh, it's even better if. If we put a little smoke that rolls out onto the stage, you ever watch those? I, I see this because I watch different people, different things online, and sometimes I'm always like, okay. And then what if the guy wears something? Now, I don't think people are into that anymore. Now you want the guy to get up there in a T-shirt and blue jeans and kind of be cool, you know. But it used to be the guy wore robes. Why does he wear robes? Who cares? Well, because it, the Old Testament law people wore robes. Yeah. They wore special clothes. But people... Yeah, but people then think they attribute a superstition thinking he like ministers better if he's wearing his garb and if we've lit these candles behind us and we have in other words we create all of this stuff one of the it, seriously I, I took because of my art degree I had to study architecture throughout Europe in the medieval ages and you know the building of temples in the ancient world as well as churches in Europe that wasn't just a matter of architecture. That was, that was totally this. They knew that they could create atmospheres that would bring out this awe in people that they would walk in and this is, oh, this space. Look at this arch. Look at this coffered ceiling. Look at those beams. Look, And they were, and I still remember, because I haven't been to a lot of these places like I maybe would be fun to do. We, but we went to St. Paul's Basilica uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, I've been there a few different times, but I took Peg once there on our honeymoon, and we walked in. They were at a funeral the one night when we walked in and a wedding on the other time. We both got in on something. But anyway, but you walk in and you look up and you're just like, seriously, it sends shivers down your spine. That's not an accident the way that was designed. 
churches, they do it today. We still do it. We yeah. still create an environment. In some societies, they have people think they have to crawl or on their knees from um, like a quarter mile or a mile away. And the farther they have to go, the better it is. Exactly, yeah. So this is, and this is really important. And I don't think these people are going, oh, we're using this work of the flesh. I don't think they have a clue. They just know that, that people want, people want because of their flesh, whether, these, whether the people designing it understand this or not, and I don't think they do. I don't think most people in these churches know that this is a work of the flesh. But what they do know is people want a sense of awe from the space they enter. And I always think the early church, you know where they met? They met in people's homes. I still, I've told you the story. When I was a kid, our church met on Thursday nights for, for midweek Bible study. And you had these people, and I don't know, there was about five families in there with kids that were coming in. And we'd meet every once in a while in Clem and Alice Welch's house. They were an elderly couple. Clem had been in the Bataan Death March during World War II. And he was a tall, probably 6'2" guy and they said he was like 75 pounds when he was rescued out of that anyway but he was a carpet layer and had an upholstery business and they would have us into their home and all of us kids had to sit on the floor because there was no place else for us to sit we didn't go off and run and sit in a room seriously every week we sat on the floor in there we all had our bibles were open and our pastor would teach us we'd pray and you pack this whole group of people into this little teeny living room i mean their living room was smaller than ours over there but you think that's exactly the way the New Church, New Testament Church met. And today you do that and people go, hmm, no. There's not a way. Alice, come on, make your living room more worshipful. Worshipful is a baloney nonsense term. Worshipful is your attitude. It has nothing to do about space. It has nothing to do about space. So I'm just using this example about sitting, watching the Seahawks and the stuff we do. But people transform that over into the, into the religious realm. And we will end with this, unless you have more questions. But well, we'll I want to push back on this a little bit, because well, I hear what you're saying. But also, like, if we go into a religious room, it's like, Maybe it's an invitation to share the gospel, and they do that. Um, 
don't think. Oh, here comes the manipulation. Right. Uh, but it can be. But it, it can it, yeah, be. Yeah, right. I'm not saying. It's like, I mean, because we used to have dimmer lights down here, didn't we? But Stan and Dwight put in brighter lights <laughs> because we had people that were having problems seeing down here with the, the old lights that were down here. So they replaced those. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. I'm I'm not saying that they're I'm not saying that what I'm saying is if we people are intentionally trying to set a mood, intentionally trying to set a mood, I think that that's that's a manipulation of this. Well, even in the times that you were talking about in the European church when they made windows or things with the stained glass that showed stories from the Bible, those people didn't know how to read. Right, right. So those pictures were the only way that they would relate those stories. So in in and of itself, it wasn't it was it would have been better to teach the people to read, but lacking that, they did have the pictures. So, you know, it is a yeah. Yeah, I know. No, I, 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 this is one of the things that we've talked about this, I think, at church. I mean, could you imagine what it, was, what it would have been like in the first century when one of these churches and the people were gathering and they were coming into somebody's home? And let's say you put 30 people gathering and they're squeezing into somebody's house for one of their meetings. And remember, they met every day and they ate their meals together every day, kind of like what we do on Wednesday nights. But it was after a day of long work and people didn't do what we do. I mean, sometimes in the summer... I might take three showers a day in the summer because I don't like to smell. And we put on deodorant and stuff. (laughs) You don't want me to smell. Yeah. And I'm thinking you came in there, and I think everybody kind of became used to that. And somebody might have burned a candle or some a little bit of incense or something to maybe make the room a little nicer. But I think people also kind of got used to each other in ways that we're not accustomed to. I'm just saying there there were a lot of things we just never think about that we, we assume this is the way church is because we've had centuries of tradition passed down to us. But when you go to the New Testament, you read it, there's a lot of things they just didn't worry about. They were just happy to get together, share some food, sit down, talk about the Bible, pray. That's all they cared about. They didn't, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying people didn't care about mood because they did it. Paul mentions it here. In fact, the verse I was going to, close with and we don't have to close we don't have to stop it here if you got more questions or comments but if you go to revelation chapter 18 and this is talking in the context this is talking about babylon the great it's a religious commercial politically vested entity <laughs> boy does that sound like big eva in, in the united states it's it's <laughs> It's got a hand in politics, it's got its hand in religion, and it's got its hands in uh, commerce. And uh, if you look at, um, let's just go to verse 23, because it's at the end of this verse. It says, the light of the lamp will not shine there anymore. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard there anymore. And the merchants and the great ones of the earth, uh, they're not going to be there. And then it says, because by your, referring to this Babel in the great, because by your sorcery you have deceived or led astray the nations. In other words, this is a religious, political, commercial entity that has used this sorcery. It's not using drugs. It's not drugging everybody. It's, this, is, this is the end of verse 23. 18 to, yeah. 
Oh, did I give the wrong verse? I don't know. Okay. We just missed it. Okay. But it's the end of verse 23. It says, because by your sorcery you have deceived or led astray the nations. And, and, this, and, but this, and this is exactly what happens. This, and in fact, what it actually tells you, uh, back if you go back to chapter 17, she, this entity, has made her, she reaches the point during this tribulation period, it says that she becomes drunk on the blood of the saints. I don't think she's literally drinking cups of blood. Maybe she is, but I don't. Because it's, it's an entity. How can, an, how can a, an organization drink blood? The people could, but not the entity. But what it's saying is she has become drunk by killing believers. What? Verse 24. It says, because in her the blood of the prophets and the saints was found, all of those that were slain upon the earth. She's been responsible for the deaths of God's prophets and saints. But you go back to chapter 17, it says she made herself drunk on their blood. In other words, this entity gets to this point that it gets people rallied around. Have you guys ever heard, you guys have probably heard stories about the French Revolution and how the, the people were cheering as they bring the, uh, the you know, the one percenters up there and they remember then they're beheading them and crowds are cheering. Yeah, yeah, they're doing this. This is what, this is what this religious entity does. This religious entity. And if you don't and if you don't think that religious entities don't do that, I mean you don't remember your history. They did it in Europe. The, the Catholic Church did it. The Catholic Church is responsible for the deaths of lots of people through the centuries. And lots of believers. So what? The Puritans were kept the opposite. They said, okay, you have to sit in this cold building on hard chairs and we're going to hit you with a thing yeah. that you don't pay attention yeah. to. And, it was, and they killed people too because they didn't want anyone that didn't believe exactly like they did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, the sin nature, it's really it, it, it is, it is. But the reason we come over here is because he uses this word sorcery. And obviously, if you go through the book of Revelation and when it talks about this, what you find out is that this woman uses religion as something that it gets people high on, essentially, shall we say. When you say people like the leadership? Or well, I think it has to be leadership. I mean, because I don't... Yeah. I mean, because it's... Because it, an organization... Why would anybody else care if you're just attending, right? What? Why would anybody else care if you're just attending? Yeah. It's... it's yeah. So, but I'm just looking at that. So just trying to help, because this is, this is one of those that people go, is this just drug abuse? Is this people practicing witchcraft? And it's not. It's, it's, and I, I want to add one other detail that I didn't put on here. I think the reason people do this is people are trying to affect outcomes. They're trying to figure out how to make something happen in their life. Isn't that why people go to witches? Make me a portion, potion that will make somebody fall in love with me. Make or somebody, yeah, I want to see, I want to see a, a long dead relative or something like, yeah. Pardon me? I want to talk to my dad that died 50 years ago. Yeah, there's all kinds of things like that that go on within that realm. And Yeah. So I so 
and I'm glad Leslie said that because there's a difference between a person like going and saying, I'm going to do some drugs because I don't like life, you know, so I'm going to do these and make myself feel better versus like Indian tribes that say, we're going to, we have this holiday during the year in which we're going to smoke this particular pipe with this particular stuff and we're going to hallucinate and our great spirit in the sky or whatever is going to cause us to see things that we're supposed to see. And don't people do that? That's a version of this. See, that's a version of this is what we're trying to say. And they very much take that in Greece. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I don't have as much of a problem with looking at that and going like, yeah, that's bad. As when we start talking about... About ourselves. Well, no, like about creating environments, yeah. I guess. Because, because I think it's hard to draw the line between like I'm trying too hard well, it's almost like you're trying to make a law instead of living by grace. Yeah, you, you're you saying you can't. You mean me specifically right now in this moment, trying to think no. so hard about this? No, no. <laughs> no, I mean, if because that would work for me. <laughs> because you, I could let it go. Well, okay. So in order, I mean, like making up a law, whether it's Leslie's law or you. It says, okay, if you're going to worship, you have to do it in this way, this way, this way. Yeah. Um, you have to have, it, this person can say, you have to have soft music, dim lights, and this and that. Or no, you don't need soft. If you do soft, that, then that's no good. You're making up that's the law. Yeah, yes. What if yeah. you're of the mindset, like, you don't feel like you need that, but it would be helpful. Like... You know, like we've we've been trained in this stuff to where when we're hosting certain types of events, you got to make sure the temperature is right, set right. You've got to make sure like the lighting is right. You got to make sure like so that there's never any sort of distractions when people are actually engaged in the and the person who's talking. Like nothing's going to take away from what that person needs to needs needs to learn. Here's the problem with that. Yeah. What doesn't distract this person distracts this person. Absolutely. There is yeah. never going to yeah. be a yeah. happy medium. Yeah. So and if, you, if there's really being the word of God taught, yeah. Satan is and his minions are going to try to make distractions. Yeah. Yeah. Road yeah. Road yeah. They can't go or whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, we, never, we never clean our house. I mean, what? I didn't hear what you said. Wouldn't it be the same thing like, oh, i got to clean everything up before everybody comes over? Like, right. I, we don't have that issue at our house. We don't ever care, do we, Faith? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys remember, but when we first decided to start meeting in homes many years ago, Dan Dolkey was the one that said, here's the rule. Nobody cleans their house before we go. I don't think anybody abided by that rule. <laughs> but anyway, but uh, no, I, it, I think that's a, it's a good point, and I like the way Leslie's answering this. You could turn this into a law saying you can't do any of that. So you need to be like the Puritans. We sit on benches, and we keep the temperature turned down. And, you know, they, and they used to, in, the, in those churches, they, they, they had men that walked around with sticks with little knobs on the end. And if you looked like you were getting dozing off, they'd reach in and thunk you on the head. Because they didn't let, you know what? And I'm just like, you can make everything right and you're still going to have people that are going to go in the middle of church. <laughs> and you're going, that was, that was the greatest verse in the world. How did you sleep through that? You know, that, you know those are things that, it's just, we can't control everything. We can't control everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I guess I'm not getting so concerned, so wrapped up in the I'm trying to control everything as I am 
where is the line between I'm creating an emotionally manipulative, like this, we're creating smoke and mirrors versus we're just creating an environment that's easy to be in. And I don't think there's anything wrong. I'm, I'm like, you know, when we come, when you guys come to our house, we try to put chairs so everybody can sit in chairs and be comfortable, you know. This and is something that causes people to go, ooh. Yeah. Now that, yeah. Yeah. If you're trying so to impress people. Charcuterie board, I've gone too far because you're going to be impressed at my artistry. <laughs> no, it's an ooh about a God thing. God, yeah. yeah. I think that it's a religious superstitious talk. Instead of, you know what I mean, like, right. when it becomes more emotional. Yeah, when you're trying to appeal to their soul, their emotions. That's a, yeah, that's a good. But we are appealing to someone's soul when we have, we turn the temperature. Peggy told me she turned up the temperature so it'd be nice and warm in here. Right, yeah. That's appealing to our sure. soul. Sure, right. But that's also thinking of other believers and loving them. Right. Yes. <laughs> but, okay, but let, let, let's... Right. It's, oh, this is the kind of God I want because, whoa, this is what I'm thinking right now. This is what I'm feeling right now. That's what this is talking right. about. It really has nothing to do with, with this. It's like, yeah. can you come in here and sit on this hard chair in this room where the temperature is was too warm, now it's a little too cool for me, you know, whatever it is. Can we sit down here with these intensely bright lights? Can we do this and say God's in this place with us? Yes. He's with us. Yeah, we can do that. But if you have to say, I have to create an environment so that the minute people walk in and look at it, they go, God's here because of the lighting. That's different. That's different. That's, that would be, yeah. Yes. See, so if you're manipulating somebody's soul to make them feel that God is there rather than saying God is here. God's here because we're all here. God's and here God's always here. Anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That would, that would be. Yeah. Either you're manipulating people through drugs, literally through drugs, whatever, or you're making it just, oh, look at this. And we're, like I said, worship this statue. Have thousands of people following a statue of Mary or Guadalupe or whatever, anything. The stupid thing that's built up in those slides. Peggy, you gotta repeat it all because right now she's back. If all the churches meet at the same time, then we don't can't follow the Oh. Go from one church to Yeah, like they've done. Uh, well, what I see in the, in the in, when I was in another churches, they, I don't like it because they made a show to get the people there, oh, he's very spiritual, this person, mm -hmm. and then start to doing like this. Yes. See, when we have this conversation, and I've felt this way before, I start thinking about, okay, this is what we do on Sunday morning. We have amplified sound. All of our instruments come through speakers. Our voices come through speakers. We like to turn the lights off because it's really bright out there and everybody feels a little self-conscious and we want them to feel like they can sing and it's fine. 
And like, we're, we're yeah. updating all the lighting in the buildings right now. Like, and so I'm thinking through, how far, at what point are we trying to create an environment that's conducive to worship because we're creating the environment and not because people are worshiping? Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the, I don't know where the line is. And, and, I, and, it, and it comes back to that. It's, it's different depending on the individual. Depends on what, what you're trying to achieve. What we, what, I think the comment that, was, that we made while, while you were out was that if you're trying to make people come in and say, God's here because of the space, as an example or whatever, that's different than, than to say, hey, God's temple is here in the building. Look at all of us. God's temple, God's here. And God could be here if we're all standing out at, in the parking lot together. God's here. He's always here with me and, you know, with you. That, that, that's the thing. And, and we, what we've ended up doing with our conversation here tonight is we've kind of made it like about how the church struggles with this. But at the time Paul's writing this, I mean, the thing is they watched this, as Leslie was saying, they watched this throughout Greece and the temples and all. They watched this all around this because all these religions do it. Actually, Even like you were saying. the immorality in that was in the temple. Yes. And we don't, and we don't appreciate that, how much. I mean, you can't even imagine how bad yeah. it was. Mm -hmm. I saw in Spokane and went to a church. And they said, okay, let's open our Bible and turn to this verse. And they turn the light I'm even thinking from, and, and Ben mentioned this, but, but Josh Butler was talking about this. He says that, he says if there's one big thing he took away on a negative, kind of on a negative perspective, but with a with a perspective being in PNG, was was what religion that hasn't been touched by by Christianity in some way, what it looks like, and how all those and how controlled those people are by their fear and their superstitions. I just think sometimes we find ourselves crossing that line because if we don't think anything about it. If we looked at theirs, we'd go, oh, man, they are so superstitious. That's crazy. We just don't realize because we've had centuries of tradition. We And I'm like that, too. I'm like that, too. That, you know, it's you're, you're like, oh, are we, am, I, am I crossing the line here with the way I'm doing this? Because we're just used to these things. We're used to our, you know, we're so comfortable with our traditions sometimes of the way we do things that it's hard to think otherwise. Were you going to add something else there? Or were you thinking about something else? Okay. I, I said, I go, I don't know, why did God have Solomon build the temple? Why did he have him build a tabernacle yeah. before that? Because the tabernacle was the same deal. Why was he so specific with, with the cubits and what kind of material was supposed to be used? Like, mm -hmm. Why were we burning incense? And, and the number one reason was because it had to do with the people of Israel that was a nation. And they were not all believers. So he was creating a religion for those people to approach God, believers or unbelievers. We only think believers approach God. Baloney. That's not the way it worked. Even unbelievers had the were required. Even unbelievers in that nation were required to bring sacrifices before God and offerings. So it was a 
It's a very different situation. There were believers within the nation. Paul even tells you that in Romans. There were believers in there, but not all of them were believers. So is that why in the Old Testament, God comes upon them, and in the New Testament, he's in believers? Well, and that brings up the other point I was going to make. With Even Old Testament believers, they didn't have a relationship to God like you and I have. God dwelt inside a building. God dwells in us. That's a complete change from Old and New Testament. He came upon some people, but not as part of salvation. He only came upon people to empower them to do works. So he empowered Beziel for handiwork and all the fine intricacy stuff when they built the, tab uh, the tabernacle, the tent. And he empowered Samson to go out and kill people. I mean, this is what the Spirit was doing. He empowered Saul to be a good king, but Saul blew it because he made bad choices and he empowered David to be a good king see so this is so it's just again what we're doing is we're, we're looking at a difference between us today and Israel that didn't have the same relationship to God and so they had a system they had a system of worship that well let's put it this way all the nations around them had systems of worship a little bit the same had sacrifices, they had temples and altars and places they went to. And it's not that God was copying that, but because he's dealing with a nation that even includes a lot of unsafe people, he's creating an environment. They're supposed to come and seek him. That would be the, the, the design. They didn't. That's the story of the Old Testament as they chased after all these other gods instead. They went back to idolatry before this. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, my thought after that was that they carried it on when God, like, when the veil was torn and destroyed, and like, it continued to carry on those traditions. Not in the same way, because the time of sacrifice is good, you know, it is yeah. good. But yeah, they did carry but on. But they continued. Well, all I have to say is thank you all for this. Boy, I. We're going through these. I what I was not thinking we would sit on that one that long, but hey, it's a, it's a real. It's a hey, it's a, obviously it shows you it's a real issue that people are thinking through, in terms of uh, how we do things. So.